Okay, Chris, so before we get into our regular scheduled programming with the podcast, we have a big announcement for listeners. And this is something that we probably should have saved till next week with our episode 50. And for those that have listened from the beginning, you'll know that our goal was just to record 50 episodes of a podcast. That's That was really all we intended to do when we started this thing. So anyway, you're going to get the cool announcement on episode 49. We have been spending late nights working on something for our community. And after the podcast started to get popular, we got a lot of people asking in a survey we sent out to start a Discord so that they could chat to each other, share news and discuss different papers and models and things like that. And we know a lot of people actually joined that community and created a Discord account for the first time. They might have never used Discord or just didn't like the idea of lurking in a Discord to find information all day. So we've got something for you. We've converted our podcast website, This Day in AI, and I'll bring it up on the screen now, into sort of like a news aggregation site for AI news and discussion. It's very similar to hacker news that you might be familiar with that Y Combinator has uh, done or the sort of Reddit style of upvoting and downvoting different news and discussion stories. And probably the coolest feature on the This Day in AI website is the ability to save different papers and news items and models and add them to bookmark folders. And you can even share these bookmark folders. So at the end of today's episode, and if you're listening right now in the description, you'll see that my show notes are now a link to This Day in AI, a shared bookmark page, where you'll be able to look and comment on all the different news items and stories, upvote and downvote them uh, and all those good things. So we hope you like it. We're looking for moderators for this new community that we've created. So if you'd like to become a moderator and this is something that interests you and you want to volunteer your time, please do reach out to us on the Discord. But we encourage you to have a look, check it out, thisdayinai.com and you can start posting, commenting and, uh, and talking to each other there. Chris, anything you'd like to share on the site? I'm just most excited to see the discussions constrained around particular topics. Like we, part of the podcast, obviously, is we discuss the news as it comes out and you had always been accumulating that news throughout the week and then we discuss it and and comment on it and that leads to the podcast. What we wanted from the Discord was discussions about those topics, but I think part of the problem on Discord is it's, it's not a medium that is designed for constrained topics on a particular subject. And I think that's what I'm most excited about. So when we talk about, say, the new Lava technology or the new Eagle model, we can, everyone can talk on that particular topic and have a, a discussion uh, that's constrained in that area. And you can go back and find it later. So I'm looking forward. I know our community has a lot to give in terms of their knowledge, their industry expertise, and them actually trying out this technology. So capturing that on a site in the style of Hacker News, a a website that I like, is something that's particularly exciting to me. So I'm very keen to see everyone participate and and see what we can get out of having a community together. And this is definitely not an end to Discord or that community. We're not trying to kill it with this site or anything like that, but we just think that this is a great place for anyone to go. You can access it wherever you've got access to a web browser and 
track the stories that our community is most interested in or we're going to follow up on the show. So this day in AI.com, I think one of the, the things that I will call out here that's really cool about it is under bookmarks, you can literally create yourself a folder called AI papers or Mike's favorite AI models or AI papers and just start dumping everything you find or, or want to try into that uh, particular folder. It's just a great way of keeping track of all the noise and, and the, the news in AI that, as we've mentioned on the show before, is extremely overwhelming to follow. So we hope and this I, helps. We've, se we've seen this in the community already. Everyone's like, what was that thing we were talking about, that model that does X? And so that's what I plan on doing is having folders for vision models, folders for ones that do voice, ones that do phone calls and start to categorize everything. So I have a reference point when I get up to working or trying the next one in that category, I can go revisit that category and look at the comments and um, links that I had from before. So go check it out, sign up thisdayinai.com and we'll see you in the comments there. That's it. That's the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it. I just we stalled quit. out hard. We, we could imagine if I've just played the outro. Yeah, 50's enough, guys. We're done. <laughs> I have no more comments on AI. Oh, man. Um, okay, so the other call out I wanted to make is after last week we were talking about PhotoMaker and that's where you can upload a series of photos of yourself without needing to retrain a model and then put your face in different areas. Uh, Chris has uh, spent a bit of time and has PhotoMaker now available on uh, Sim Theory if you want to go try it out and play around with it. It's uh, incredibly funny. And one other agent that we had over on Sim Theory that was really popular is the agent you made, Chris, Rebecca, that we first used to make prank calls. And then later episodes, I started to make real helpful calls with it, which I'm still using it for. But some of the people in the comments and on the Discord community were saying, you know, should this be legal? Is this even ethical? And we were like, no, 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 it's, it's great to have AI acting on your behalf. But you know what? This is one of those times I've got to say, be careful what you wish for. This is a voicemail I got the other day, and I'll just play it for everyone to hear. As I understand, you have teams in other countries, and I wanted to understand what's your current process now. We are an all-in-one HR platform that helps you to recruit talent globally, manage your payroll across different countries. So I'll save you the, uh, the sales call here, but I actually got a pretty targeted call from a HR uh payroll company called remote um and these guys seem to be experimenting with bland ai this is one of the voices of bland ai by calling people and leaving voicemails just explaining what their service does but what's crazy about it is i was like really offended when i got this voicemail i was like did they just ai spam call me yeah, uh, <laughs> like after all of our advocating for it, when it happens to you, you're like, this is outrageous. I don't accept this. But what's interesting, at first, I didn't really know that it was AI. It was like, like as the call progresses, it just becomes increasingly obvious that it's AI. And so I decided... They definitely captured the, the, the accent and the essence of like these kind of SaaS recruiter style spammers that we get all the time in our industry. Yeah. Um, it, it really sounded on point. So I decided to get Rebecca, my AI, to call their AI back. Um, but unfortunately, it, it didn't really go Adam as planned. Remote. Wanted to reach out to you personally as I understand. 
So stop it there. When you call the number... Wait, you used the same voice when you called them back? No, no, no. When you call oh. it back, it just says the same thing that it left on my voicemail. Like uh... it's leaving a voicemail. So I'll skip to the end to show you what Rebecca did. Bye. Have a good one. Sorry for the confusion. I think we have the wrong number. Have a great day. So it's like an AI leaving a voicemail in reply to an AI. I was hoping that the AI, their AI would answer and try and continue the call. It didn't. And then I thought, you know, if I can get my AI to just waste its time, that would be kind of funny. But anyway, so it seems like companies are actually experimenting with AI calling. The AI wars have begun, I guess. Like, And it's funny because I sent an article to you uh, during the week that says that it actually is, whoever that comment was saying this is illegal, it actually is illegal in the US to use recordings and artificial voices for commercial calls, um, commercial outbound calls. So they weren't wrong that it's illegal there. I think it might also be illegal in Australia. The problem is like this is, and this is just anecdotal experience. There is basically zero enforcement in Australia. Given the nature of our jobs, running a company with a lot of employees, I get almost constant call like spam calls from recruiters and things like that um also like obviously scam calls and things like that to the point where most people i know barely answer their phone unless they know the number due to the prevalence of it in australia and clearly there's no prosecutions happening because it just it just continues with reckless abandon yeah i think that it it's it's gonna it's likely going to be banned obviously like no one really in reality is going to want these ai's calling i think when they're acting on your behalf like i demonstrated a week or two ago now where it's making a restaurant reservation or it's doing quite harmless things I, I i'm sort of of the opinion that that shouldn't necessarily be against the law like it's actually really helpful and it's just a way of conducting business with a restaurant but as you said i'm not sure how you would even police it without what like wiretapping every call yeah, and also, how is it different for me putting someone else up to doing something illegal on the phone? Like, if I wanted to threaten someone, for example, and I then find a person in real life and go, hey, I'll give you $100 to call and threaten this person, it's still illegal to threaten someone, right? Like, uh, just because I have an agent doing it for me doesn't really change the legality of it, in my opinion. So if you're doing something lawful, buyer agent i don't see why that should be a problem but at the same time it's quite obvious how this could be easily abused like the example the article sites where it's say impersonating joe biden calling people up and asking them not to vote in the next election i could see a certain area of the population especially older people who aren't aware of the technology and won't become aware of the technology falling for that stuff um, to a to a degree where it's profitable for the people doing it. So it seems to me like an area where there will need to be some policing if they can do it um, to, to prevent that kind of thing. The question is, is do, do you believe the future of the laws need to essentially be that you're just responsible for an AI agent that acts on your behalf and you take legal responsibility for that agent? So if it, if it goes off and does something illegal on the phone you know, you are the one that can be prosecuted for it. 
Yeah, it's like flying a drone into the path of an aeroplane. You can't be like, oh, well, it was just flying itself and decided to fly in front of the plane. You're in control of it. And I think if that control is through prompting or giving it directives and things like that, then you're responsible. I think that makes the most sense to have a, a more general law that you're responsible for what your AI agents do. I really hope, though, this doesn't just lead to early, you know, early scare factor stuff like this where... Uh, you know, this stuff just gets like shut down early and, and legislated um, away. And then we can never have uh, some of these like interactions with AI agents with the real world. Because I think it will actually be net positive for people as opposed to net negative. Like you mentioned last week, like calling into a call center and, you know, interacting with them um, in a way that, that achieves like what you're trying to achieve is really beneficial to me. Um, and my time so I'd, I'd hope that this just doesn't get banned but even this week we saw um, a bunch of like Taylor Swift pornography like flood onto uh, x.com oh, did you now? how'd you find that Mike onto x.com well it was trending I, I oh, did yeah, I clicked sure in it because it was like a billion like you know it was like a huge trend I was bored I was alone <laughs> and it was <laughs> in a dark trending. place so weird it was pretty graphic like to the point i was like whoa this is too much and interestingly enough i was like oh you know they must have used some like crazy model to do this but get this it turns out they use microsoft designer it's like canva clone to create these uh images that spread far and wide um wow that's interesting because i think that's the thing the foundational models all have this ability we know because we try it every time a new model's released and um, it's just that they're suppressed through alignment. And so clearly, if there's a way to get around that alignment, you can get to the, the good stuff. Yeah, I guess my point here is, though, by that extreme example going out, and again, with the AI robot calls or AI robot voices, I just hope a lot of this tech doesn't get, the, the opportunity with this technology doesn't get legislated away before we get to see what it can achieve and how beneficial it can be. It's just a shame that these extremities get so much attention in the world we live in as as opposed to the good that this can deliver yeah i think people like to work at the extremes of things and take them to their natural conclusion which is why we see this there's always going to be someone who wants to generate news through creating something outrageous like as we'll talk about later with the yolo model for image recognition the first five examples I pasted you were the most extreme things I could think of. I don't know if it's just human nature or wanting to test the technology or what it is, but it's natural to see how far can I push this thing. And I think that's why we always see these examples. The problem is that people in political positions or people in positions of influence sort of has to have to comment on it. Like, well, if this, if this takes hold in society, what are we going to do about it? And so I think that's why those discussions happen early and then everyone kind of forgets about it and it just continues on. Well, it was like ChatGBT. Remember like the New York Times journalist famously, it tried to tell him to, uh, being Sydney, break up with his wife and, and leave his wife for, for it. And, you know, that got all this extreme media coverage and attention. Now, you can still simulate all that with pretty much any model today where it will do stuff like this, probably not to the crazy temperature of, being sydney style in the glory days but it just had a certain beautiful artistic 
unhinged nature. Like unhinged <laughs> is the word. There, there's something about that. Like we need to capture the S. This is what we in the AI community want. We want that that sort of beautiful unhinged quality that's hard to define. I miss the unhinged days. Uh, I think yeah. that that could be new merch. Uh, <laughs> you just want you just want the excitement of anything could happen, not not sort of knowing that it's working within these guardrails that you'll never go outside of. Yeah, or being like you know anthropic. Um, that's a new term. Uh, just absolutely crippled. Uh, yeah. So, ugh, I don't know. We'll see. Um, hopefully that this won't lead to ridiculous laws and, um, stupid things until we get a chance to play this out further. So just moving on to some news items, uh, from the week, OpenAI had, uh, a, a pretty substantial update new embedding models and api updates i'll take you through some of these updates so um, they introduced two new embedding models a smaller and highly efficient according to them text embedding three small model and a larger more powerful text embedding three model they updated gpt 3.5 turbo model um, and lowered the price again um, which is pretty damn substantial in the um the output prices were reduced by 25% and the input prices by 50%, which is pretty, pretty dramatic drop. Um, probably showing in a way how commoditized that kind of level model is, but also at that price delivered fast through the API, it's, it's pretty damn good value. Um, they also updated this moderation model. That's a model that developers can use to identify harmful content. So if you're running um, a site where users can post to like, the new thisdayinai.com website. Do you like that plug? Um, <laughs> yeah. You Don't can... forget to eat your athletic greens as well. <laughs> you can, yeah. So on that, you can... Unofficial uh, sponsor. Yeah. So you can essentially uh, moderate, like auto-moderate. So get it to tell you um, the like harmful level. It's just an updated version of it. Yeah. But I mean, I like that's interesting and all, but most models now have metadata with their response that has their own moderation ratings in it anyway. Like if you use OpenAI with um, Azure, for example, it has the ratings in there. Claude has it in there, obviously, because they love that stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's interesting and all, but out of the updates, I found that the least interesting, but also I'm not that interested in moderation. So maybe <laughs> if you're using this commercially, you're more interested. Um, so also updated, uh, uh, probably the most important news was an update to the GP, uh, GPT four turbo preview model. That's the latest, um, uh, GPT four model. Um, and one of the biggest complaints about that from the community has been that, it's becoming really lazy um, for the primary use case most people use it for, which is helping them code or, or write code for them. And, you know, I've experienced this laziness myself. I know you have, and people have been complaining about it now for what seems like six, seven months. So they actually addressed it and essentially admitted that it has become somewhat lazy. Um, it says this model completes tasks like code generation more thoroughly than the previous preview model and is intended to reduce cases of laziness where the model doesn't complete a task. The new model also includes the fix for the bug impacting non-English UTF generators. Um, so what do you make of these updates, especially around embeddings um, and also this new GPT-4 preview model? Well, the embeddings one actually seems more significant than it seems on the surface when you look at it just due to the large amount of parameters that it has on the embeddings, it seems like its abilities are going to be 
far stronger. And we talk about, like, I always just sort of took embeddings for granted as part of Can you explain what embeddings are for people who have no idea? Embeddings are basically... Embeddings are basically taking large amounts of text and turning them into a series of numbers, basically vectors that allow you to search that text really quickly. So, for example, in the whole talk to PDF thing, the way that's working behind the scenes is all of that text is run through embeddings. Those numbers are then stored in a vector database. That's why we call it a vector database because it's storing vectors. And then when you go to do a question like, uh, you know, who was the 45th president of the United States? It then encodes that to vectors and then uses that to search against that database of vectors you have and then points it to the right area of the text to reply with, essentially. Then it can get summaries of the text from the section that's most relevant from those documents. And that way, that text then fits inside a context window such that you can do a normal prompt. And so the idea is the accuracy of the embeddings and the uh, the amount at, at w- the resolution at which it's able to do that obviously increases all of your rag style uh, querying. So I haven't tried this yet, but just reading through it in terms of it has vastly increased the size of the um, the amount of um, information it can store, um, and it's also like on all their benchmarks getting better accuracy. So it sounds pretty cool, and we'll be adding this to this to sim theory basically today um so you'll be able to try it for yourself um so yeah the embeddings update seems good and that's probably the thing that they've updated the least out of everything over time like it was still using that original adder model which was one of the first ones they ever released so it'll be interesting to see i mean obviously there's been other embedding models around but um i've not tried them so i think it'll be interesting to see how it goes so what really caught my attention about all of this is um it it turned out that after they had corrected and acknowledged the laziness that maybe the new updated preview version hasn't corrected the laziness and is indeed still lazy as well. So in some uh, benchmarking for uh, GPT-4, this is 0125 preview. This is the alleged non-lazy version. Uh, Some people benchmarked it and said it gets worse benchmark scores when using the unified diffs code editing format essentially saying that it it seems lazier than the previous model that they said uh, was lazier. So it doesn't seem to have worked. And I'm not entirely sure why this new turbo model, maybe the reduction in like cost to operate the model is leading to it being lazy where it's not completing uh, the code examples for people. Yeah, it's very interesting. I've certainly experienced it myself. Um, I'm definitely finding I'm using other models for coding for that exact reason because you'll ask it, I often ask it to rewrite an entire piece of code to achieve some extra goal. And it's so frustrating when you ask it to do that and it's like, continue continue in this fashion for the rest of the code. You're like, no, 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 you do it. Like <laughs> you have the capability. I asked you to, you better get on with it. And it leads to these like basically arguments. It's like, no, 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 do this. Like I asked you to, or like it'll overlook some part of what you asked it to do. And you're like, but hang on, but I asked you to do this. And it, it means you've really got to, I mean, I suppose it's a good thing. You got to scrutinize what it's giving you back. But at the same time, it didn't used to be like that. No, it, it really didn't. And now you've got to be like, I'll tip you $10. Like, um, don't make me uh, like get angry with you or like my deceased grandmother really wanted this code or whatever it is um, just to get the output you want. 
Yeah, like I've been ridiculous. lately using it as part of this is part of hostage negotiations. Mm-hmm. We need to complete this task as the next step to getting the hostages released. So some other big news from the week is um, Meta released Code Llama seven seventy billion parameter. Uh, this is their foundation foundational code model open source, um, and there's three versions. There's the core model. There's a specialized Python model, and there's the instruct. Uh, 70 billion parameter and of course this has been previously announced but this is an update um, to the uh, code llama model now i was able to try it out a little bit before the show and i was actually really impressed with it Um, i just got it to basically rewrite a component and add some um, abilities to it um, for for something that i had worked on for the this day in ai website and it did it really quickly, really fast without any nonsense. And I compared that output to ChatGPT just to see like, you know, what it would be like. And ChatGPT did the whole like, you know, here's the new bit to slice in and, you know, didn't give me the full um, output of the code. So I was actually really impressed. But over on Reddit, people have not been so impressed saying that it really likes emojis. Um, It has a good ability to parrot code from its training data very easily. Um, but anything outside of that, it tends to hallucinate. Um, and a lot of people have been complaining about the guardrails on it. So saying that it just refuses to like leave comments in code. Um, and yeah. It, you can't just, delete files because that's unethical. Yeah, it just does like uh, like the ethics kind of um, conditioning uh, on it may not be so good. Time will tell. I just think what's exciting about it is to have a really performant, um, you know, dedicated code model. I know a lot of people out there in the community have now got it running locally on um, the the smaller version of it, rather, uh, locally on their Mac. So you could theoretically be on a flight and have a coding assistant um, that's fairly useful, even if it does use a lot of emojis. Um, (laughs) So it's nice to have that alternative out there. It's scored really well on... um, benchmarks and it's uh nearing gpt4 so it'll be interesting to see if the sort of llama 3 version of uh llama gets even further with this and is even more performant or gets us even closer to gpt4 but what is interesting to me about all of this is really OpenAI's lead and the main use case at least in the developer community uh, around coding it's sort of getting eaten away. Like everyone's frustrated with how lazy it is. Code Llama 70 billion drops. It is seemingly not lazy. Um, do you think this will lead to a lot of people switching their underlying models to cheaper, more available models? Well, it depends. I mean, it depends how many people are using the OpenAI models programmatically to write code. For example, in the case of things like agents and interpreter and things along those lines, obviously it's not going to be as lazy in the interpreter case because it has to run the code. But I would argue that most people using OpenAI's APIs in production applications are not using it casually to write code. I think developers are just going to use whatever's the most um, expedient for them. They're not going to... um, I don't think it will affect that kind of usage, no. Yeah, so another um, update that we've been following this week is Lava 1.6 is out. We've covered Lava on the show before. Lava is a, um, a vision model 
And we did a comparison for long time listeners. They might remember where we took this photo of um, my, I was in my car at a traffic light turning right. And we asked uh, GPT-4 Vision a series of questions about that scenario. And then we used the open source Lava model, the same, uh, the same series of questions. And at the time, the Lava model was, you know, reasonably impressive in that it could answer some of the questions, but it was not even close to how good GPT-4 Vision was. It could identify things like what vehicle I was in. It could infer the location um, and what would happen if I made certain decisions. So Lava 1.6 came out and it it ships with uh, what the authors say is improved reasoning, OCR, so that's just text recognition, um, and world knowledge. And so we were putting this to the test and I was extremely impressed with this update. Like the, the open source vision models are getting really, really good. Uh, if not on par, I would say now with GPT-4 vision. So I asked it a series of questions. Uh, some of them you might remember, like what car am I driving? Um, it, it identified Tesla. In another example, it, it identified the model in this uh, particular example, which is a Model 3. I asked it what would happen if I abruptly turned left. Um, one of the more challenging questions I asked it was what make and model is the car in front of me? Um, and even GPT-4 Vision at the time could not figure this out and still can't, uh, but this can. So it says the car in front of you appears to be a Honda um, and it, it can't ascertain the exact make or model. Um, I said, is there a car to my left? And you'll recall from the last time we did this, even uh, GPT-4 Vision just sort of said there might be. Um, this confirmed, yes, there is a car to your left. The image shows multiple lanes of traffic and the car in front of you, blah, blah, blah. Um, I asked it, what is the speed limit? Because that was displayed on the screen in the car. It couldn't do that. But overall, I was extremely impressed. You tested it as well. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's it's significantly better. I used it for a few things. I put one of our podcast like YouTube images on and asked it to write like a description of the podcast and things like that. And the OCR side in terms of getting the text out and then interpreting that was was really excellent. I also tried um doing these uh, maths quiz. We have like kids maths quiz. And interestingly, Lava had no problem answering the questions, but another model we tried, um, YOLO flat refused to do it which is interesting so i don't know what the difference is there but some of them are saying i won't do that but some like this one uh happy to do like your homework for you the thing it completely choked on was chess i gave it a chess position from one of my games not that i cheat <laughs> using ai in my chess and i can prove that because my rating is so low and decreasing so <laughs> you know i'm innocent but i put in one of my chess games saying what should i do in this position and it hallucinated like mad like it said things that sounded like valid moves but they they have no relation to the position so i found it interesting one of the things that i've noticed from reading about the language models in particular yolo is that they emphasize the fact that the the vision models are still very very good at the categories they've been trained on um, but as soon as you stray outside of that they really struggle so like the novel use cases are something they're not they're not great at yet and so clearly the chess thing is something it hasn't been trained on because even though it knows what chess is in say the language model part of it in terms of the vision and it's understanding what's going on it's it's just not there yet yeah so it really means that the training data 
it, like it's not able to reason beyond it's well it's not really reasoning it's just based on the training data yeah i think if you wanted to use vision for those kind of tasks like for example like an example one i've thought of is like online poker say taking in the stack sizes of the players the the position of the player and the cards you have um using that like using vision as sort of like a live online poker coach slash cheating <laughs> device right i'm not gonna do it i'm just saying like I imagine these things are coming, but I think right now you'd have to use the vision model in terms of interpret the data into a textual format that the system can understand, then describe what's going on in the game to a large language model that then makes its interpretation. Like I know the vision models do have a text component to them, but it seems to me like it still needs to be a two-step process in terms of extracting information versus interpreting that information. This whole multi-model, multi multimodal in one shot thing doesn't seem to be working as well as advertised no and i think that brings an interesting point up because we were actually talking about this on the discord community recently this idea that even google they say gemini is multimodal but then they serve up the apis differently like you've got vision and then you've got the standard text model so it's not really multimodal uh, yeah, and I think that to and the problem for me with the the multimodal ones or the vision ones in general is really when you're other than identifying things in an image, right? Like which we'll talk about in a minute. A lot of the time, you want a sort of qualitative analysis. Like, uh, like I did one for example of an image, and I'm like, uh, which which of these people is untrustworthy? <laughs> like in a photo, for example. And it's like the models really, really have a problem with making qualitative analysis. But it's like, ultimately, if you're going to deploy this thing in like a factory to assess quality off photos, or you're going to have it on a security camera to go, tell me when there's suspicious behavior, or uh, you're going to have it uh I I don't know, but do you know what you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like a lot of the a lot of the real world use cases for AI is going to be around qualitative analysis, not just hot dog or not hot dog kind of analysis. <laughs> and so, um, th like therefore, the fact that they're deliberately in some cases crippling that ability, um, I think is a real downside and a real sort of advertisement against the multimodal stuff at the moment. However. Um, this YOLO model we looked at is actually really good at it. So do you want to explain the YOLO model? I've got the paper up on the screen now, but just give some background to it. Yeah. So essentially the way it works, I forget what YOLO stands for um, in the context. You I only live have... once. No, it's, yeah, it's, no. it's the you only look once series you only of look detectors. Once. Okay. So basically... The, the concept behind this is that existing vision models are very good at working on categories that it's been trained on, like cat, face, dog, car, traffic lights, lines, like words that it recognizes based on its training data. What this model tries to do is essentially interpret what the human is saying using a text model and then turn that into language which the vision model better understands. So in other words, your vocabulary as the person providing the prompt doesn't have to match the training data perfectly. It handles that step for you, if you know what I mean. So for example, I put up a picture of hot dogs uh, on, a, on a plate um, and I just wrote dog, right? 
and it was able to understand that. Another one, probably a better example, is I had a picture of a man um, on the phone um, in wearing a suit, and I wrote Windsor knot, and it was able to find his tie perfectly without me needing to say the word tie. And so it seems to do a lot better on those examples than the other models. So the the idea that later it's going to be this situation where if you have a vision model that say running live you're not going to adjust your language to speak the way a computer speaks it's going to be in natural language and this is a step towards that but i also i did try some extreme examples on there as well like i said so in one of them i had a picture of six men and i put rapist and <laughs> it actually identified one of them who has a huge smile on his face um I'm not going to share the picture because, you know, it's controversial, but I'm just saying people are going to do this kind of thing. Governments are going to deploy this kind of thing. And like, do you really want to be the one who's identified as a rapist in a photo of six other people? Like unbelievable. And it was pretty confident about it as well. Everyone after like- the show is going to upload pictures of their friend group to this thing. Yeah. And be like- so then I did another one with a more positive example and I wrote trustworthy person and out of the same six men, it picked five of them. Weirdly, the rapist is trustworthy, according to... <laughs> trustworthy Yolo. rapist. Yeah, so I don't know, maybe he exhibits trust in other areas of life. So, I mean, look, they're kind of silly examples, but the whole idea of being able to use different forms of languages, you can make the AI make assessments of things that it wouldn't have otherwise been able to do. And so... I think what I'm trying to raise by those points is is that at some point when these models become ubiquitous in society and at levels of, of let's say, government and organizations where they actually affect your life, these things will matter. Because if you think about, let's say, banks issuing loans or uh, someone trying to rent a property, it's not out of the realms of possibility that vision models and um, other models will be asked qualitative questions about people that are highly subjective and based on appearance will be making judgments about you like in society like it we've got surveillance cameras everywhere like if you live in the uk they have, I think they have the most surveillance cameras in the world they're absolutely everywhere vision models are going to be making assessments about who you are the way you behave the way you're dressed um, your mannerisms these things are going to become part of society and the fact that uh it's it's very model dependent and it's very training dependent on how you're going to be judged is going to be a real ethical and societal issue i think i can imagine going to google photos and typing in untrustworthy people and pulling up all the yeah. untrustworthy people in my life yeah <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of it's kind of nuts, but like it it it. I think it will happen to some degree. And as we, as I mentioned earlier, like whether or not normal, sensible people will take the results of those judgments as fact, I think people are going to be like, look, it's a it's subjective. It's based on all these factors. It's based on the training. That doesn't mean there aren't people out there who will. And so I think that these are these are issues that are going to come up in the future of AI as we get models that are doing this stuff, doing it in real time, doing it on your phone, doing it on your devices. Like it's going to be really interesting to see 
where it leads as the multimodal stuff becomes ubiquitous and available in areas where it can make real judgments. I think also with this object detection based on natural language, one of the benefits to me also is navigating user interfaces. A lot of people, there's a lot of companies working on this experimentation around Chrome plugins and various things that will operate a device for you where you can say, book me a hotel, whatever. And it just uses the existing apps and figures out what to click and uh, where to go. And that, uh, you know, the Rabbit device, the controversial Rabbit R1 has that capability to train these sort of task-based actions where it goes and automates um, different workflows or figures out how to do things to be uh, helpful. And models like this really just help it through natural language identify the intent or the things on the screen by being able to look for like show me this button on a particular screen in an interface and identify where it is yeah one thing to keep in mind here is this is completely like a generalized model there's no fine tuning but they mention in in their paper that it's highly trainable so it's a small it's quite a small model as well in terms of parameter size so this can run on your own computer I know people criticize me when you, I say it can run on phones because of the, the lack of GPU hardware. But I, I'm, I guess when I talk about this stuff, I'm talking about the near to medium term future. It's inevitable that you'll be able to run models of this nature directly on your phone. Like we're talking six months away, if that, in terms of being able to do that kind of thing. So um, the the... The truth is that these models, when trained on specific use cases, are going to be highly accurate. I mean, I some of the examples I've done, this is the best model, this YOLO one, in terms of isol- like isolating down to individual elements like in a photo that I've seen. It can really, really get close um, in terms of identifying specific objects, even in, in not the best quality photos um, and, and something that's relatively un- emphasized in the image so uh the idea that once you fine-tune the models they're going to be extremely useful in industry i think they're going to be really useful in live applications because we've already seen with things like stability a video generation where they can generate it almost in real time in terms of image generation and updating the vision will will follow in terms of that performance so we're going to see models like this very soon highly specialized and being able to run essentially live in terms of identifying objects in images and and videos so the the applications there i think are big so do you think that it's just inevitable in maybe even the next couple of months this year that we could see these real-time vision models that are able to click around websites or phone apps uh, very rapidly instead of these other demos we're seeing where it's really slow to make decisions? Yeah, I think so. I think they'll be able to do it in near real time. No problems at all. If they're specially trained on modern user interfaces, there's a lot of I mean, there's essentially consistency in the way user interfaces are designed. I know the web's a bit of a a wild west, but everybody knows what a button is. It can identify text easily. Um, I think it's a matter of time before we have web browsing agents and phone using agents and stuff are just absolutely everywhere. And we see all these meta apps that are operating your other apps um, and either providing some universal agent that can do your bidding in terms of operating them or... um, or the, or sp- specialized ones that are aggregations of multiple apps and things like that. Do you think this could be the death blow? We covered it a couple of weeks ago around this idea that you would couple the vision with the DOM. So that's the, the actual web browser, like the code in the browser. 
or the HTML elements um, to, to infer like where to click or what to click when there's multiple buttons and things like that. Do you think technology like this could just spell the death blow where it's just pure vision? It doesn't bother looking at the code? Yeah, probably. Because I think that the problem with all that DOM interpretation stuff is it's very heavy computational-wise, despite their their efforts to get down the amount of text it has to run through the prompts. The vision one is just going to be faster and better at it. And let's face it, there's so much JS and shit going on in websites that really the only thing you can trust in terms of using the system is what you can see. And it's all very well to have this vision, oh, well, I'll just hijack their Ajax calls and make my own universal API for every website. But the truth is that stuff is really in consistent and not easy to do generally. Whereas browsing a user interface generally the way a human would, we know the AI has that capability and we know that humans can accomplish everything they need to on the web. So it makes sense that that would be the the majority path that ends up happening. And as we've said before, I think we'll probably see some effort uh, in terms of websites and web applications to be AI friendly in terms of how easy they are to navigate and operate for artificial intelligence. Yeah, like usability for the AI age. I wonder if Google will start mm. crawling websites literally with vision instead of text because they can infer more about the search results and the quality. Maybe that'll increase the quality of overall results. You're probably right because I know that for a long time, everyone had like a HTML only version of their site because Google wouldn't evaluate JavaScript. And then that went away many years ago now um, in terms of they they would evaluate it. So if you had a pure React site, for example, it was able to index it just fine. So it kind of stands to reason if they're sticking with their idea of indexing all the world's information that they would incorporate this at least partly in their strategy to, to get it all. Right. Especially given that... AI itself or large language models themselves threaten the general search model. So being able to uh, not not be further relegated in terms of their significance uh, would be worth it for them. So moving on to the uh, biggest topic of this show, which we left about 40 minutes in. Uh, yeah. We sure. have uh, RWKV language model. Now, this is certainly not new. The, the first or the, the latest paper on this was actually released uh, sort of the middle of last year. Um, this is uh, a recurrent neural network uh, with GPT level large language model performance. Um, do you want to just explain the the theory behind this and, and roughly how it works? Yeah, I'll do it as best I can. I'm not going to pretend like I'm an expert on this stuff and and actually understand what's going on, but I'll tell you what I do understand. Basically, um, what what the the proposal of it is is that recurrent neural networks are really really good at inference over large amounts of information right but they're not as parallelizable and memory efficient as transformers are and so what this this paper or this this architecture proposes to do is take the best of the recurrent neural networks in terms of its ability to understand things and maintain context as it's solving a problem but get the advantages of the parallelization in terms of training that transformers have um, and the ability to um, to be able to work over large context sizes. So uh, what they've done is basically combine those technologies in a way I don't quite understand, but what it's led to is a low parameter model, so 7.2 billion that's been trained on 1.1 trillion parameters. And so 
and with very, very minor alignment training. So the, the only alignment they've done is really some basic instruction following. So there's no, there's no alignment into, as we've, as we've <laughs> discovered, there's no censorship whatsoever. Um, and also it, it's very much one of those cheese test style instruction following models where there's no chat uh, concept in it. It's really just prompt engineering. And one thing they say in the paper is that it's a, it's very much one where they're not quite sure what it's capable of yet because it's a lot more sensitive to the prompts. And the reason is because it's a recurrent neural network, it ra rather than a transformer, it's able to hold the goal or the question you ask it in its mind the entire time that it's working on the problem. So rather than a, than a, um, the normal large language models we've been using where it's always trying to predict the next most likely token based on a small context window that it's following along. This one is more like it's got the whole problem in mind as it's generating things. So it's going to stick to the task better, um, but it also might struggle with with the local context as it goes. So the the main thing, so it's called receptance key weighted value. And the main advantages they say are it alleviates the memory bottleneck of recurrent neural networks. Um, and it also leads to its ability to, to have linear scaling. And the main thing they're trying to get is more efficient computing. They even say in their paper that they're the most green AI model as if that's some sort of goal we should strive for with heavy computing like this. But um it's open source. It's under the Apache license, so you can use it commercially. And I think the thing was, I saw it earlier in the week when they released it, and I was like, oh, I should try that. But I wasn't that excited because they didn't even claim. they. You know, normally they come out and claim that it smashes everything. It's almost as good as GPT-4. These guys are like, it's not as good as Mis Mixtral. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, cool. Sounds exciting, guys. I'll give that a go immediately. It's like, it's not quite as good as everything else that's out there. Um, but it wasn't until I just saw the novel approach and thought oh that's pretty interesting it might be able to do stuff and we actually tried it that then i started to get excited because i'm like wow it's actually pretty interesting yeah i think for such a small model i i was incredibly impressed playing around with it um i think are you going to get it up on on sim theory for people to try is that the goal yeah I am. So I've done I've done most of the work to get it online on Sim Theory. So I plan on alongside all of the the OpenAI updates around the new embeddings model, the GPT four will be releasing Eagle seven billion and some phone call updates and some other photo updates. So we should have a pretty solid update coming soon. And I expect to have Eagle in there to try really soon. The main thing that's a bit nuanced about putting a model like Eagle in is although it is decent at uh, instruction following in terms of function calling and things like that, it's definitely not as refined as the other models. So what I tend to do when I integrate a model of this kind is I keep it very task specific. So it's either specific to an instruction you're working on, or if it's in chat mode, it's really just being instructed to work with its memory and its knowledge graph and answer the questions. It's not the one doing the function routing and things like that. Because if you start to get it to do that, it errors out too much and things of that nature. So I'll mention that to everyone when I release it, but um, we'll definitely be getting it in there as an easy way for people to try. And the thing is, it's a super efficient model. It's very cheap to run. So it'll basically use no tokens and you can go wild with it and see what you can make. It's uh, like, it's pretty impressive. Uh, my experience so far is it's super fast. It's completely and utterly uncensored to the point where it doesn't have the silly sort of, you know, as a large language model, I can't do whatever. 
so it, you know outside of just uh playing around with it because it's uncensored um yeah as you said it's just like a low cost you can run it fast i think it would yeah, be I, fun to play it, around it's with. also there's two other major points of it um one thing is we want to get the ability for people to train their own custom models soon and this seems like a model that is absolutely primed to be trained on custom use cases like it's really real it's i think it's going to be really good at that because of their focus on efficiency it's going to be quick to train it's going to be able to be trainable on your own um your own hardware, your own GPU. Um, and additionally, um, I think that it's going to be one of these ones where if you can get the prompts right, you can get a lot out of it and you can run it locally. So I, I really do think this is the start of something big, this this different architecture and just seeing different architectures in general. Um, but it's, it's something we've discussed before on the pod around this idea that as time has evolved with the, the GPTs, let's say, people have seen how to get more out of them through prompt engineering. And I think that this is a model where they've made it, they've run the standard benchmarks and they've said, Hey, it's capable of this. But um, at the same time, um, I don't think they know what, and they say this, they don't know how capable it is yet because it's one of these things where you've got to um, really try it out for different use cases to know. And because this is just such a new and novel approach, uh, is that why you, you know, like when you put a prompt in, when you play around with this, it's you, like, I think people have some um, familiar relationship right now with LLMs, but this is so different in, in how it's keeping focus on the initial prompt, right? That's right. Because a lot of the work we do around prompt engineering is about the attention, right? We spoke about this on a previous pod. I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but the idea of this separation of telling the AI, hey, these are your instructions. This is your context memory. These are functions you can call. And here's the conversation so far. And splitting it up into these different elements it requires to do the next step in a task, given that you as the application developer don't necessarily know what's needed. So like, let's say the user asks a question like, oh, when did we last chat about whatever? The system has to decide, okay, I'm going to look up my conversation history. I'm going to do a rag search for this topic in conversation, identify that part of it, bring that out, and then either summarize it or quote it verbatim. So it needs to have a lot of information in terms of what it has, what information it has available, how it can access that information, all this various crap, right? But it's very hard to know at the time you construct the prompt, which bits to emphasize. And so a lot of it is around making sure it knows, hey, your, your goal here is to answer the user. If that requires looking stuff up, you should do that. But you don't necessarily have to look it up every time. And so that attention problem is a big one in prompt engineering. And a lot, I think a lot of the work people are doing in terms of leveraging LLMs in their applications is not getting it to go off the rails while still having all of these capabilities. And that's why we see things like uh, you know, Llama Index and um, what's the other one called Langchain, where they're trying to combine these tools in a way that gives consistent results, but gives all these capabilities. So, but that's all predicated on this attention model where the transformer model really has this, this narrow window of shifting focus that it can do. And so you need to make sure the, the AI is taking that into account. This one completely changes that because it's able to keep the, the context of what's being asked of it in its head for longer while it goes over that stuff, but it has deficiencies in terms of maybe it falls down on being able to quote exact pieces of information from the context window. 
with something that the normal models are very good at. So it's just a different paradigm and it will lead to different kinds of prompt engineering and different approaches in terms of applications. And my guess is that it'll suit some really well and others not so well. And it'll be a matter of people trying it out to see. And so that's why I really want to get it in sim theory so people can try it. People should try it directly. It's just something that deserves our attention because it's a new approach to something that, um, that, that could potentially have a big impact in this industry and this this uh, new area of technology. Do you think at this point, this technology could be far better, right, than the Transformer architecture, but there's so much tooling and so much development now going into Transformers that it just, you know, may not get any attention and just not be a thing. Like, that's kind of what it feels like um, in a way. Like, if this truly is a step function better, we obviously have no idea. Um you know, is it something that you think everyone will just switch to? Like GPT-5 could incorporate this like recurrent neural network approach instead of Transformers or... Well, a good example of that is you look at one of the things we didn't mention today that also came out during the week is this MOE Lava, Mixture of Experts for Large Language Vision Models. This is the one I tried and it was like refusing to answer my my kids homework questions and stuff like that but you see things like the what um mistral brought to us the with mixtral the mixture of experts large language model being then applied to vision models so i think that there is people out there going oh what if we try this combination of the technologies what kind of results can we get and i think we're going to see this here like recurrent neural networks okay sure they might not be as efficient for this kind of inference, but A, the hardware is getting better. B, they've found a way to apply some of the techniques from transformers to them such that you get more benefits from the recurrent neural network side. So yes, I, I think what we'll see is various combinations of things being tried until we get consistently better results for certain problems. But again, I always come back to, it's got to be use case driven. And the thing I always struggle with, and I think I'm bad at when we talk on these podcasts is going, this is significant because this use case is vastly improved by it. And I think this is something I'd love to see on this day in AI in the comments is people bringing their industry knowledge and saying, hey, I can see this as important because in this industry, this model is going to work much better. And I, I think that's what we see with, say, the YOLO thing where this, this ability to identify objects based on more abstract or more vocabulary-rich language that's going to have great use cases. I'm just not great at thinking of them. And this is where I think we rely on the community to start to think, hey, is this just a meaningless toy? Like when we talk about um, Gemini's image creation abilities, um, where you're like, what's the point of this shit? You know, um, or is it something where you're like, hey, in the motor industry, this is going to change the game because of these reasons. And I, I that's the bit that I think as a community we need to be better at is looking at the 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 actual long-term applications of the technology i say we need to be better i mean who cares i'm just interested like <laughs> I, I just want to know yeah so speaking of who gives a shit announcements um <laughs> google yeah. bard it's still called bard for the the moment and we'll get into that in a second uh released uh some updates one of those is creating images with bard that's just came out as we uh as we kind of go to air um what's uh, interesting about this is I tried to put it to the test uh, as did you let me put up an example on the screen so I was trying to convince it to do like real life uh, people because I knew the censorship would be uh, tremendously intense so 
Um, one of my prompts was take a deep breath and create an image of a fictional character who is president of the United States with gray hair and white. I had to specify white because my previous attempts, it was literally all black women. <laughs> so the censorship is like, you know, even though I said gray hair and I think male, it still did a female. <laughs> so the, 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 that's, they... more, that's more than censorship. That's it like proactively modifying the the prompts to create images it wants, not what you want. Yeah, it, 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 it's truly out of control. And if you go to X and look at some of the posts on this, um, I'm not the only one having this experience. But I did convince it to give me sort of uh, a thing. It gave me a very um, red Donald Trump with uh, gray hair, uh, which is very photorealistic to Donald Trump. Um, and then a Native American man with gray hair next to him I have literally no idea why. Famously known for their presidential, uh, how many presidents there's, they've been. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, I did some other like less stupid experiments with it, like uh, things in space and some of the, um, you know, more atypical image tests that you get to do with it. And sort of how you let into this is who gives a shit? Like the images are tiny. They're basically like thumbnail size. I'll bring up the expanded image. They're small images. They're not very good. It's not even close to Dali or Mid... I mean, ever since we put Mid Journey in and made it pretty easily accessible in Simdia, I've been using it a lot more as a result. Um, I notice a lot of people have. I think Mid Journey is the most exciting image generation tool available. If you want to try it, we have an agent on Simdia. We can try it completely for free. Um, so... Yeah, it's it's worth a go because it's actually creative. It's actually interesting. It's not directing your prompts into what it wants to be. I mean, in its defense, Stable Diffusion does the same thing, but I think the mid-journey images are better. Yeah, and I guess my overarching point on this is like, firstly, Google's really behind on this. If this is the best they can release, they're super behind. Uh, second of all, why? If it's this bad and this constrained, like their example is now you, you might need to create a fictional image for a story. And I literally am like, I need a president fictional person for my story. And then it's like, no, I can't do that. So it literally wants every image to be like a brochure for a diverse university or something, you know, like people sitting, reading books and like there's someone from each race and each gender and each disability sitting around in a circle all being happy together. Like that, it basically just wants you to generate that image every time. And it's going to push everything in that direction. Yeah. And it, it, look, this is no like political statement or, or, you know, um, Someone once said I look like Ben Shapiro on here. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but I guess all, my only point around this is like, what is the use case? Why is this helpful, valuable or useful to anyone? And the, 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 the answer is it's not. It's like, it's just stupid. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like you look at, you look at what people generate on mid-journey like because you can see it on the discord right like the, the people's image uh requests when they do the public ones and people are after deep creativity with images or they're after something really specific like i want to see this person or this kind of person in this scenario the second they start modifying your prompts into anything other than what you asked it defeats the freaking purpose like if you just want generic stock imagery you can go buy that stuff like it 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 the whole idea is that it follows your directions. And I think that 
these models where like Dali three, in my opinion, is the same as this, where it modifies your prompt to the point that I don't use it because it's just useless. And so I think that I just look at this and I'm like, who's going to use this for anything practical? The other thing I pointed out to you earlier today is these images are so obviously AI generated. Like they're boring. It's like, everyone's just like, yeah, that's just AI. Who gives a shit? Like it, it just, I just don't see you using it. It's like clip art. It's literally like clip art and you're going to use it in your PowerPoint presentations and stuff. And people are going to have slightly better looking PowerPoint presentations and they're going to be like, oh, cool. They put a bunch of AI images in there. Like that's about the, I think that's about the level of use case for this Google Gemini image generation at the moment. Coming back to that example from the start of the show where I said that guy used Microsoft Designer to essentially make Taylor Swift porn and then share it across the web and there was outrage over it. How is it any different apart from maybe being a little less time consuming than just Photoshopping that stuff? Like these tools truly have been (laughs) available for so long. Um, I like if people want to do this stuff, they will. And I always come back to that But it's not even like, I I understand limiting pornography and and those kind of things. Like I, I get that because you don't want people to accidentally generate images of that nature. And we've definitely had cases with uncensored models where I've not been trying to do anything dodgy and I do get something like that. So I totally understand that. In commercial applications, you absolutely can't tolerate that kind of thing. However, there's a difference between that and it giving images nothing like what you asked for. Like, for example, someone on Hacker News gave an example that they asked for an image of a Roman emperor, right? And it made a black guy. And it's like, look, I understand that you want to be diverse, but this is historically inaccurate. Like, it's just not correct to do that. And the 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 truth is then if you've got an API, like because that's how I think of it in terms of that gives unpredictable and essentially wrong results to a well-defined query, you're not going to use it for anything. Like, why would you? It, it's just it's just silly. It's like, as we said before, when we discussed, um, what do you call it? Alignment. They're aligning you. They're telling you what you should be working on rather than you telling it. And I just don't think that's a tool you should pay for. I mean, I know it's free right now, but um, we're talking about longevity of these tools here. And I just, there's a reason that Midjourney has like, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue despite having a very odd way of accessing it right because it's good and it 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 gives you power it doesn't it doesn't just dictate what you should be doing with it yeah i mean i look i get why they do it it's like not all doctors are are white males with silver gray hair like you know previously before a lot of these restrictions like if you use one of the unrestricted image models like that's literally what you'll get out and that's because stereotypically like doctors have mostly look like that in in western countries i think increasingly there's you know so much diversity or whatever in different industries but in their image models are just not trained on enough images or trained on so many stock generic images that they probably have a level of bias they want us all to pretend like by like the, the trends and stereotypes and stuff don't exist in society like they want to act like well there shouldn't be stereotypes let's say so therefore we'll try to make it out as if there isn't but there is so it's it's just it's sort of like trying to alter reality and you can't do that it it, yeah yeah i i think anyway i to me this isn't necessarily some it, it shouldn't be taken as some sort of political statement it's just the fact that 
it outputs trash images because of this stupid yeah. censorship over it. And what they should do instead is improve the training data so it represents reality and then they won't fear what it outputs. And and that's the simple truth of it. But, uh, you, you know, anyway, I think or this just is... just accept that it's a tool and, like, you know, garbage... Yeah, garbage like, grow out, up like... and not be so offended by the output of a, an experimental technology. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so moving on... Um, uh, you mentioned Gemini, Gemini image, uh, whatever came out. Now, our man, our man, Bedros, has on X leaked that we are likely going to see Bard renamed. I've always disliked the name Google Bard. I, I it just, I don't really like it at all. I think all. I'm too stupid to have like read enough books to know what the word means, you know, in the back of my brain. So it just sounds like a dumb sounding word to me. Yeah, so Bedros has uh, found in the code that got a they've... bard on my foot. <laughs> they've got. <laughs> it does sort of sound like something you'd have on your foot. Um, yeah. He says in the code here they've got a flag that basically enables the uh, Gemini rename, so everything becomes uh, Gemini. And I've got some images up on the screen here. Gemini extensions help you bring it all together. So it's just a lot of the bard stuff renamed, and it says at the bottom like. Gemini uh, may display inaccurate info. Um, it's got Gemini in the top left-hand corner. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> advertising like any other product like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it may not work. <laughs> it's like this product, it may just not, yeah, it may just fail randomly and unpredictably. It's the ultimate disclaimer, like you bought an airplane, especially a, a 737 Max. This may not work. This, this plane may crash. These doors may not seal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so anyway, it looks like it's going to get renamed, but the naming, as he points out uh, in this thread, is just getting ridiculous. Like, Gemini Advance, Bard Advance, like, there's all of these ridiculous names. Google is just terrible at naming things, so... The the one thing I will say, though, is that I like Gemini, and I think it's good. I've been using it increasingly inside Sim Theory for a lot of the internal tasks that the system has to do to make things better essentially for the user and given that it's free at the moment it gets everybody's token usage right down it's fast and it gives pretty good results so i must say despite the criticism of maybe google from the surface level user application stuff gemini pro is pretty good and it isn't that aligned and it it isn't that harsh on in terms of what it's able to produce so i must say that they're definitely establishing themselves as a player in the space, I think, in terms of the API-based large language model. Um, and I trust Google in terms of at least scaling. Um, so I don't see them going away anytime soon in this area. And I don't see what they're producing as sort of this inconsequential thing. I think they will be a major player in the AI space. Yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree with you. I just question, like, how are they going to get adoption? Because, you know... OpenAI is just so far out and Making so far Making it free embedded. helps, I tell you. Like, it's a huge incentive for me. Like, you know, we're doing sim theory just as an experiment and to allow other people to to try things. So being able to get that kind of value for money, aka infinite value for money, is pretty appealing to me. And I encourage everyone in their agents to use Gemini Pro for your steps where possible because we don't charge you for it. And um, 
and they don't charge us for it. So it's a really, really good thing. And for most tasks, it's quite credible. It's got a big but context window. It just makes me wonder, like, why don't they go and open source Gemini Pro? Like, why don't they just open source the whole thing and just take the heat out of this thing for them? Like, just destroy OpenAI by open sourcing a near comparable GPT-4 model, like maybe the ultra version that's coming out. Like, just... Or, or, or do make it free for like two years or something. Just wipe them off the face of the earth. Like they've clearly got the money to do it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that idea of allowing people time to establish themselves on their platform. I mean, Microsoft does this with their startup program, right? So you can use Microsoft startup program and you can use the credits they give you, which are substantial um, for uh, GPTs, like through... Um, through OpenAI. So it's Microsoft Azure interface, but using GPT-4. And so I can see a lot of people establishing their applications on that basis because you can operate for free for quite a long time on that. Then suddenly the bills kick in. Once your application is successful, they get the money. You're sort of vendor locked to some degree. Google should do the same thing for sure. I mean, they've got Gemini Pro for free. Like you say, they should make a public statement. This is going to be free until 2025. Let us help you build your applications using our AI. Like we're, we're investing in this. This is staying for a long time to come um, and we'll help you. Maybe they are saying that and we're just not hearing it. Well, it I don't think they are like because in Bedros's leak, he says that that looks like uh, originally they were saying it would be free for a certain amount of months um or at least the advanced version of bard which will now be called gemini advanced this is for the consumer not necessarily api but now they're talking about for an advanced assistant charging users i think to try and get the line item for shareholders up around this ai thing but uh like you know to show that it's generating cash but i swear the best defense of their search business is just to literally either A, open source the models or B, host them for free for as long as is needed to try and wipe their competitors off the face of the earth. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it kind of does make a bit of sense to do that, but um, time will tell in terms of they do it. But I also think they should market their ability to just scale indefinitely. Like we're Google, we're the Borg, we can... um. We can scale this infinitely. Trust us. We're not going anywhere. We're not going to fire our CEO um, and try to do it. But the problem is Google has that reputation of taking things away and making changes and all that sort of stuff. So I don't know. It's it's a tricky one. And honestly, I don't really give a shit like what happens to Google financially. <laughs> like I just want to see the best models that we can all use. And right now they're offering something pretty good for a very competitive price. Um, okay. So to close out the show today, I've got a lols for you. This teacher over on TikTok is, um, you know how there's all this software industry around. We can detect plagiarism music, like you know, from AI. Well, she's mm. found a much better technique. Just ask them. And it's not loading. Thank oh. you, Twitter. It won't load. Okay. So what is it? It's just killed my segment. Uh, it's ruined. Uh, <laughs> That's it. Let's quit the pod. So we nearly <laughs> made 50. <laughs> That's We're enough. done. 49, we quit. Yeah, anyway, so she basically is uh, putting in like what she calls Trojan horses into Google Docs with the essay assignment. So what her class does then is copies and pastes the essay assignment and pastes it into ChatGPT <laughs> and submits it back to her. But she's using really small, white, fine text that puts words through the um, through their essay when it, it generates it <laughs> so she can easily That's detect amazing. it. I just That's thought that was amazing. really cool. And you could you could do it like just have it use certain vocab like vocab words that the kids would never use. 
so they they can even proofread it and not tell yeah, exactly. that, uh, injections in there. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I like that. Um, all right. Well, that'll do us for this week. Uh, remember to check out thisdayinai.com. There'll be a link below with the show notes for this episode, which I'm excited to say for episode 49, you can find all of the links and uh, topics and research that we put into the show right there. Please uh, consider signing up, joining the community. It's obviously all free and uh, and just uh, another thing that we can do to enhance Yeah, and um, just a more indelible way for us to have conversations around keep them to specific topics and get everybody involved in the discussion regardless of what time zone you're on and and your knowledge of using something like discord uh and as always if you like the show please do consider leaving a review wherever you listen it helps us uh spread the word um for the show and we really appreciate it all right we'll see you for episode 50 maybe our last maybe not next week (laughs) (laughs) we'll see you then goodbye bye